0: Well, it was a uh, fun midweek weekend. Was the official term that we coined because um, we started on Wednesday and went through the weekend, and it was it was great. And uh, a couple of thank yous. A thank you um, to those of you that gave up time and uh, finances to help make Revive happen. It happened very quickly once CE announced that uh, Momentum was unfortunately canceled, and uh, it was it was a deflating moment because we all through. Uh, the summer, we started meeting in May, and we, we just kept saying, well, we still got momentum. Momentum's still happening, and then Jeff Bogue delivered me the awful news, and we immediately just started thinking of what we could do, and uh, praise the Lord that we have a facility that uh, can, can house that. And so thank you for everyone of you that did that. Um, a big thank you. Um, she always asks me if I throw her in my thank yous, and she never makes it, and this time I'm actually going to, and so I was not lying. But a big thank you to my wife, um, because... Um, no words necessary, no. Um, but uh, she makes countless sacrifices for our family, for the ministry, and, and it's awesome. And I wouldn't want a better helpmate in doing ministry, and I couldn't raise Sadie alone, so thank you. Um, <laughs> um, also, a big thank you to Tristan Spooler. He is officially our 909 worship leader, and he's putting, he has put in a lot of time and dedication and training students, and, and he is in charge of the worship for <laughs> Revive. Uh, A big thank you to Noah Twombly, who in in addition to everything he's done for the church, he has also revamped the 909 Tech area, so a big thank you to Noah. (laughs) And uh, a big thank you to Jim and and Tammy for being here and helping us get this going. They spent a lot of their day yesterday and this morning uh, running sound for us and teaching the guys up there, so thank you to them as well. And then my lovely youth staff, if you're on youth staff, if you could stand up so that we know who you are. A ministry is only as good as those who pour into it, and our student ministries has some awesome people that pour into it. I could not do the job that I do without them, Um, I mean, you've you've seen the testimonies of, of um, Connie the Baptist, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it, that that's what makes youth programs work, and that's also what makes churches work. Is when the people are willing to invest their time. And uh, no coincidence that we started a discipleship series right before youth celebration service. Um, I made the joke to Reg that I was surprised that I wasn't speaking last week because usually I kick off the series for him. Um, but I'll take the second week anyways. But uh, defining discipleship can actually be a very hard task to do. And thankfully this morning, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to unpack the whole uh, word, but we're going to move further in the discipleship series. And this morning, we're going to answer one simple question. Why discipleship? Now, you'll notice if you look in your bulletin this morning, if you got a bulletin, there is still a spot for notes, but I have not given you an outline. And that is strategic. I wasn't just lazy and decided not to make an outline. It was strategic, and that's because discipleship is going to look different for each person. Um, I can tell you how I do discipleship, but the people in your life might not respond the way that I do discipleship. And so my goal this morning is to tell you the why and how that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one through 11, 1. And I simply want you to write down whatever the Lord brings to your mind about discipleship. People, process, whatever it is, I'll give you some clues as to how I do discipleship and you can kind of piece together your own formula. Now the way that we ask that question is very important. When you ask why discipleship, it encompasses everything of discipleship, all aspects of it. And asking why, I tell our students all the time, asking why is one of the most important things you can ask. Why are we going through a series on discipleship? Why spend the next six weeks talking about discipleship? Why is there a hole in the wall, right? Why is a good question to ask? It helps us understand things, right? And understand when things aren't correct and understand how we're going to get to an end, right? And so we always want to ask why. Importantly, we also want to ask, why do we believe what we believe? Why do you do the things that you do? Why is an important question to ask? And discipleship is actually something that is very important to me, something that I'm very passionate about. And we're going to unpack most questions you can probably have about discipleship over the course of the next six weeks. But again, my goal this morning is to share with you why discipleship is important and look at what the Bible says to do about discipleship. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10 31. Uh, we're going to start there. Um, Of course, when we're talking discipleship, we have to use Paul, because Paul, I mean, the man lived and breathed discipleship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 11, one says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, there's a pretty black and white statement that Paul gives us on how to do discipleship. And, uh, and that's where we're gonna start. We're actually gonna start at the end of this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Notice what Paul says. He gives very easy instructions. We should be able to go home right after I say it. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, right? Okay, book closed, we're done, right? It's easy. But that's not all as always with Paul, because if we unpack this, and if you really look at it, there's something that Paul is saying that I never caught until working on this sermon. Notice who Paul says to imitate. Paul doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, be imitators of Jesus. He says, watch me and I will show you how to follow Christ. He doesn't say, listen to me teach you how to follow Christ. He doesn't say, read what I post on Facebook and follow Christ and learn to follow Christ. He doesn't say, come to church and you follow Christ. He doesn't say, make sure you volunteer and you'll follow Christ. He doesn't say, read books and you'll learn to follow Christ. No, no, no. What does he tell them? He says, imitate me. Watch me. Be like me. Do what I do. And you'll learn to follow Christ. Now that's a bold statement, right? That takes a lot of weight, right? It's like, you want to know what Jesus looks like? You want to know how to follow? Watch me. I usually say, oh yeah, you want to learn how to follow Jesus? Read this Kyle Eidelman book. Watch this video from Francis Chan and you'll be good, right? I like to delegate. But Paul says, no, no, me. Look at me. What I love is Paul isn't challenging the Corinthians to simply read this letter Again, he challenges them to watch. And you could you could possibly argue that you can imitate through speech. Do as I say, not as I do. But what does everybody always see? What you do, right? Paul understood something here. And what I love is that Paul is so confident that his life will resemble Christ that he has no hesitation. There's no hesitation. And I, and I wanted to know what the original Greek looked like. And the, the scholars that, that translated this said so usually what happens is when, they're, when they were scribing, if they ever had a hesitation, you could see the mark. Just like us, when we're writing with the pen and you're thinking, should I have written that? And then you just stop and there's kind of, there was no mark. It was, it was pounded inscribed, like you could see the passion flowing from the, way, from the way Paul wrote it. There was no hesitation from Paul saying, watch me. But again, I go back to, I'm caught up on that. Paul didn't say, follow Jesus. He didn't say just simply, look at Jesus. Imitate Jesus. And have you ever wondered why he doesn't say that? It's because they had no idea how. Right? I mean, plain and simple, Jesus wasn't living in person for the Corinthians to look at. Right? So simply saying, follow Jesus. Okay, bye. I would be left there holding my tongue, okay, what, what okay, right, so, so Paul says, no, 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 you need to, you need to imitate me, but also in hindsight, this statement can seem very arrogant, can't it, I mean, what, if, if someone just walked to me and said, hey, follow, follow me and I'll show you how to follow Jesus, it can seem kind of arrogant, until you realize that there's nothing arrogant, nothing prideful of seeing someone who wants to follow Jesus, and is struggling to follow Jesus, and then saying, hey, let me walk with you and show you what I know. Here's the thing, Paul here in in this portion of scripture is on guard for these Corinthians. He saw them struggling to follow Jesus and was willing to come alongside them because of the relationship that he had with them. Because Paul was the one who started the church at Corinth. He ministered there for a good year and a half before he went on trial in Rome. And he wanted, them to, to, he wanted to see them succeed in following Jesus. So he wasn't afraid to allow his life to be on the line to show them what following Jesus looked like. What was actually happening, and the purpose of why Paul said this, was there were pagan leaders that were actually influencing and conflicting these believers in such a way that they didn't know what was acceptable and what wasn't when it comes to following Jesus. So there's the how. You invite a young follower of Jesus, and I don't just mean young in age, I mean young in a spiritual walk and be the example. Imitate what Jesus would do. But why? Why, why should we do that? Again, we're back to that why. And in, and, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul gives us the very answer to that question. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Discipleship glorifies God. That's, that's really the answer. And that's a little, but that's a little easier said than done, right? Because I imagine when I say everything that you do, making sure you do for the glory of God, we go back to the how. Right? The how kind of comes back into our minds. Okay, well, how does that happen? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us the answer for that. Paul's just the answer man this morning. He gives us the answer in verses 24 to 29, especially in verse 24. Look at this. He says, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. You see, the reason the Corinthian believers were conflicted, as I said before, was because the the false teachers at that time were actually pushing them to sacrifice food and to offer food, worship to idols. So they would offer their food first. So before you go to lunch, you would offer your tacos or whatever you get to the God, and then you would eat it as a form of worship that was worshiping that God. Okay, And so these Corinthian believers are now conflicted because they're following Jesus, but they know if they eat this food, it looks like idol worship, and they don't want to actually be worshiping those idols. Okay, so they're like, Paul, what do we do? Help us. And he says, and he tells them, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And then he tells them, verse 25 through 29, he says, eat whatever's in the market, and if you go to dinner, eat whatever is set before you. It will not affect your relationship with Jesus. But, but if it will affirm, them worshiping a false god then you are not to eat it yes you may be hungry but you are not to affirm sin in someone else's life paul says that as long as the neighbor is not looking for affirmation from you as a follower of jesus then eat the food because i can only imagine that paul also knew that that would lead to an opportunity to talk about jesus You see, Paul is explaining to the Corinthian believers how to disciple someone. And remember, these verses come before he gives the ultimatum of saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In order to glorify God, we must represent Christ well by standing up for what God has called of us and not affirming sin in people's lives. And there's the formula for discipleship. And if there is such a mixed review as to what following Jesus looks like today, that many people think they can still live as they have, they have always lived in their sin and can still be called a follower of Jesus. Let me make one thing clear. There is no room for living in sin and following Jesus. Jesus wants nothing to do with sin. You cannot follow your sin and follow Jesus. That's why Jesus died, was to take care of that sin. So, what, I find, what I've also found is that it was never modeled for these people. I've got many friends, social media warriors that, uh, that post how wrong I am for the views that I have. But I also realize that these people have never had anybody model for them what it truly looked like to follow Jesus. And in preparation for this sermon this week, I posed the question on Facebook, what do you think of when you hear the word discipleship? I love some of these answers that I got. Allowing someone who is stronger in their faith to pour into my life and challenge me to become more like Jesus. Relationship of, of pointing and encouraging others to be like Jesus in daily living, application of truth to life. Working with someone, alongside with someone, investing in someone coming alongside and doing life together, discipling kids instead of strictly discipline, caring about heart change and pointing them to Christ rather than just focusing on changing the behavior. Asking the question, what is God telling you and what are you going to do about it? A biblical command for growth, but sadly misunderstood, often overcomplicated, and or not practiced in many churches. You know, that last one, really stuck out to me, misunderstood, overcomplicated, and not practiced in many churches. You see, there's a real danger if we as a church do not take discipleship seriously and are not modeling Christ for those younger in their faith. And I'm not talking just teenagers, I'm talking people younger in their faith. See, I want to share with you a story. This is the beginning of my walk with Christ because discipleship is something very important to me. And because of what I'm going to share with you about my own walk with Jesus, the hope in sharing this story with you is that you will see the importance of making sure that everything you do brings glory to God by not seeking your own good but the good of others. Because when I first gave my life to Jesus, it was in 2004. I was in middle school, and I was, I was finally able to go to a Choir the Fire youth conference with my youth group. I really went because I wanted to get out of the house for a week and, and hear some awesome music and, frankly, just to be away from home. The last night of the conference, the newsboys were closing, and Peter Furler came to preach, as he usually always does. And I was in one of those moments, I was in an arena, I was actually in the RCA Dome. And it felt like Peter was talking directly to me. Talking about filling your life with things that don't matter, pursuing all the wrong things in life. And he gave an altar call asking anybody that wanted to give their lives to Jesus to come forward. And my legs were like jello as I was both nervous and excited because of the way Peter talked. I was making the best decision of my entire life. And I I went backstage and and met with one of the the counselors and he was genuinely excited that I said I wanted to commit my life to Jesus and he was so genuine that I let everything fly. Porn struggle, lying problems, self-image problems, it was the first time that I had publicly admitted that I had a pornography problem to a stranger at a conference. All I knew is I wanted my life to be different and he hugged me, prayed with me and was so excited for me. Sounds pretty good so far, right? sounds pretty good but then I went back to my youth group and I was still excited I stood back at my seat with my youth group waiting for the excitement that I'd experienced backstage to continue and yet nothing happened I saw other youth group students getting hugs friends jumping up and down with those that had gone forward but none of that happened with me the only person who came and celebrated with me was my sister. She came up and hugged me and was excited for me. But the only problem was is that I expected that because she had followed Jesus and had modeled for me in my house what it looked like to follow Jesus, her and my mom. And she was the one who annoyingly invited me week after week to go to Acquire the Fire. So I expected that. But all I got from everyone else were a few fist bumps and high fives as we loaded back on the bus to head home. My first thought, Since I had given my life to Jesus was that my feelings were confirmed, that it was overhyped and not a big deal if I did or did not follow Jesus. As we drove home, my youth pastor came and sat next to me, patted me on the shoulder, mistake number one, because I am not a physical touch person. And asked me, or said to me, so I saw you went up during the altar call. And I reply with a little bit of excitement as a a middle schooler who hasn't been affirmed yet in the decision that he made. And and I was thinking, yes, here it is. This this is the excitement that I'm waiting for. If anyone was going to celebrate with me, if anyone was going to be excited for me, it was going to be my youth pastor. And I will never forget his response. He said, man, that's great, really happy and excited for you. And he left. Now, I don't know what was going on in my youth pastor's heart that night in 2004. And I'm not going to make that judgment call. But all I do know is that my first experience and what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus was not good and actually made me not want anything to do with Jesus. Because even though... Peter was excited, and even though the counselor was excited, the people in my life who were supposed to be modeling it weren't, and made me want nothing to do with Jesus. And as a result of that, I was never able to give up the things in my life that were standing between me and truly following Jesus, until 2008, when Dan became the youth pastor in Kendaville, and modeled a different kind of following Jesus. But you know what? Paul understood something when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, and he said, imitate me as I followed Jesus. You see, Paul didn't, say, didn't write 1 Corinthians 11, 1, and then start imitating Jesus. He wrote it while he was imitating Jesus. He always was imitating Jesus, and that's why he was confident enough to say, you can watch me. I want you to watch me. And I'm going to model for you. I would almost guarantee that if we had a video camera and we followed Paul from the moment that Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus to when he wrote this, that we would see his life do nothing but glorify God. Confident in that. Paul knew scripture and had no doubts about his relationship with Jesus. And those Corinth believers saw a man who, who had given his life to Jesus, been jailed for following Jesus, been mocked and on trial for following Jesus, and then ultimately beheaded for following Jesus. But do you know what else they saw? They saw a man who said it was worth it. Following Jesus was worth giving up their lives. There's one more thing we need to understand about the how and the why of discipleship that we learn from Paul in this passage. Following Jesus is not about your comforts, not about your personal preference, and not about your opinions. Following Jesus, stay with me, has been and always will be about doing whatever we do for the glory of God Here it is, so that others will come to know Jesus. Because here's the hard truth, whether you like it or not, if you have ever claimed to be a follower of Jesus, have ever volunteered for something at church, or anything that has to do with God, people look at you to see what a follower of Jesus is supposed to do. They do. There is nothing you can do about it. They're going to look at you to see if it's worth it. Now, I understand, as you heard from my story, I understand that we don't always have the best role models in what it looks like to follow Jesus. We don't. But here's what I always tell our students. The choices are yours, not the people who are supposed to be modeling for you. So you may have had a role model that was terrible like I did to begin with. But you can change it. You can change it. You will either imitate Jesus or you will imitate the world. I hear all the time, I see on social media all the time, we want this change in this world. We want everyone to get back to God and we're not imitating Jesus in what we're doing. Why would anybody want to come back to God? I see my old youth pastor in a lot of the discipleship that happens. And so you want to make sure that that you're following Jesus. Look at who's following you. Because when there's something different about your life, people want what you have. When Dan first came to Kinderville to First Christian, I saw something different in Dan than I did in my first youth pastor, and I wanted to follow him, reluctantly at first. But I wanted what he had. I wanted the joy and he never gave up on me and he showed me a different Jesus than what I learned in 2004. It keeps me up at night thinking if Dan would have never come to First Christian in Kinderville, what my life would be like now. But here's the thing. Same thing I told the students. You've heard the testimonies about it, me asking the students to give up whatever's coming in, whatever is in between them and Jesus. And I'm gonna ask you guys to do the same thing. A little bit different. But I want you to take an honest look at your life and, and tell yourself look at yourself, why are you not imitating Jesus? Why are you not able to imitate Jesus? We need to give up whatever it is that you are imitating. And give it over to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to begin transforming your life so now you can begin imitating Jesus. Because there are people that need to see what following Jesus looks like. Because the people that I see being loud about following Jesus are not what following Jesus looks like. That's not the Jesus that I know. And we are a church that loves so well. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that that the Lord called Alex and I here six years ago. But now we need to push a little bit further and making sure that we are a church that models Jesus in everything that we do that brings glory to him. And as we normally do, we're going to enter into a time of worship here. And, and I'm going to ask that it not be as we always have. Uh, you know, usually we, we hear a sermon, and then I pray, and then, and then we sing a song or two. But I'm going to ask that you sing this next song as a prayer of surrender. Not just another song that we can sing before we get into the business meeting and lunch, but a prayer asking for forgiveness for making following Jesus about us and not representing Christ well. Because frankly, that's what following Jesus has become. And I've been convicted of this just as much, is that I make following Jesus all about me and we've got students, you've heard them, you've seen the ones that were baptized and the ones who've been baptized before. There are students who need to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. Why is it going to be worth it for them to follow Jesus when they're in college? It's time we show them. So we're going to sing this, and I ask that you just sing it as a prayer of forgiveness. And whatever posture of worship you need, if you need to kneel and open your hands, kneel and open your hands. If you need to to cry, cry. If whatever it is, however you need to worship, to ask for that forgiveness for whatever it is that is keeping you from imitating Jesus, then do it.